How's it going, everyone? This is the Urban Golf Podcast, and today we have Thomas Plummer on. Thomas has been someone that has affected both Mac and I's career significantly. We've read his books, we've learned a lot, and it was actually really special to even just have a conversation with Thomas because he's he's a legend in the fitness industry. He's the Michael Jordan of the business side of fitness. And so it was wonderful to to talk to him during this hour. Yeah, he was awesome. I mean, it's like if you're if you own a fitness business, if you're a personal trainer, if you're interested at all in the health and wellness space or private uh, instruction space, uh, you got to listen to this podcast because you know, he has been in the industry for 40, 50 years and knows it inside and out, has seen the trends come and go and and really gets into what is going to happen, I think, with this pandemic and with where we're going as a society and how health and wellness integrate with that. And I, I mean, like Leo said, this is, you know, he's had a huge impact on on building this business. So it was really awesome to talk to him and hear him go through his principles and be like, oh, we do that already. It was great. And and there's a lot to it, not just the financial side of of, of the fitness business, but also how culture and trust Pace such a player such a big part in 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 the future of of your business as as we go through this process. Yeah, and it was cool to kind of see you in real time, kind of realizing how how instrumental Thomas Plummer's concepts were actually in the early days of UGP before you even had a, a facility, and how much you remembered now that you learned from him. It seemed like, yeah, I mean, just key fundamentals, which is which is really what what it's about it's it's understanding that it's not just you know hey oh i'm a great trainer or i'm a great golf instructor and so everyone's going to come to me and i'm going to be successful as long as i continue to get really great at my trade and that's not really what makes a successful private instruction or training business what makes it great is the relationships you build and the experience that surrounds the training actual train core training experience and that's what i really got from his book it's like don't, you know, yes, great, get great at your craft. You have to have a lot of education and relatability around it. And you have to go through a lot of experience to get good at it. But one thing that you can really control is the way that your customers feel when they come into your door when they leave. Yeah. And what I took away from this is that, you know, Thomas basically revolutionized small group training or semi-private. He was very, very early on. He knew that that was going to happen. And, and designed a lot of the concepts all over the world based on that. And now, after you know, in the middle of the pandemic, what I took away was, n- number one, personal training, private training, one-on-one is going to make a huge comeback. And then two, it's all about uh, trust now. Do you trust the company? It's not necessarily too much about the product anymore. It's about the personal connections and how much you trust the place that you go to. So a fascinating conversation and we loved it. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, they've been talking about the death of a big box gym for a long time now. If there was one thing that was going to make the big box gym really hurt, it was, it, it's something like this. And he goes into that and talking about, you know, what the consumer is going to expect coming into these experiences and some of the safeguards that even the big boxes can do to evolve into the future. So hope you all enjoy. This was a great conversation. Enjoy everyone. Thank you so much for joining us, Thomas. We're both super excited. You're one of my favorite public speakers, and you've influenced both me and Mac a lot in our careers. So thank you for, for joining us today. Thank you. Kind words. I appreciate it. So I hope I can live up to that in the next 45 minutes here. So <laughs> <laughs> Let's start what's happening now in your life, obviously in the quarantine and everything. But can you talk to us a little bit about what you've done in the past and, and what you do now? Oh. Uh, Right at this moment, I'm trying to save as many gyms as I can in the middle of this. I'm locked down in Florida. Everybody's kind of doing the isolation thing, as you guys well know. So most of the the last couple of months, I've not been on airplanes, which is the first time in about four decades. But most of the calls, what I'm doing now is to try to keep people alive. There's a gym business that's in quite a shakeup now. We're probably going to lose about 30% of all the fitness businesses in the country. Probably will not reopen. 
and that's making obviously there's some guys trying to fight through this and it's it's kind of weird i'm taking calls from everywhere from uk to canada i'm talking to guys in australia and they're all fighting the same problems we're all trying to get it done and and get back to kind of some kind of reality whatever that's going to be but yeah mostly this day i'm sitting at home trying to you know save as many as i can normally i'd be on an airplane this time of year teaching workshops somewhere you know, flying about doing my stuff, but uh, not for a while. I don't think that's going to happen again until late summer. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it in general? Because we both, Mac and I, read your philosophical thoughts. You're just such a great writer on, on Facebook. So I'm sure you have some kind of deeper thoughts about what's happening in the world, like socially, philosophically. How do you think we'll, we'll come back? What type of reality do we come back to? I wish I could control the reality. I think a 30-day timeout once a year would be the best thing for the entire human race. You know, you find out if you still like your spouse and, you know, find to get to know your kids. And after a while, you get so bored, you have to put your phone down. You'll actually talk to people. It's, uh, yeah, in a perfect world, uh, I'd love to see this stuff, you know, a 30-day just voluntarily lockdown once a summer. But obviously, that's not going to happen. It's, it's, It's a chance to reset. That's what I was talking to Mac about before you get on. It's really a chance for people to kind of, who are you? What do you want? What are you really trying to get done in life? And a lot of the calls I've been taking start in business for five minutes. And then the next 55 minutes, we're talking about life and rebranding and trying to find your own direction and who you're going to be and have missed opportunities and missed you know, children and all kinds of things. This is a very, very weird opportunity for people to kind of hit the reset button in their whole life. And uh, we're so busy being busy, you never get, you're never forced to walk around with your kids in the park and think about, you know, what the hell am I doing? Who am I? What am I trying to get done? So mm. I'm trying to find some positive. And I think that's an amazing thing that it forces you to kind of think about who you are and what you're trying to do. Yeah. I, I think about the analogy where some athletes that are successful get injured and then they come back stronger than before because the body needed that injury to kind of grow back stronger because they're maybe overtraining or something like that. Do you think that's what's happening with the world in a, in a weird way? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you said that. Leo. I just saw the old movie, uh, <clears throat> The Rookie, the other day about the guy that came back to baseball when he was uh, around 40. and. Played a couple of years. Jim Morris played a couple of years of pro ball, made it all the way to the big leagues, got hurt when he was. But uh, the movie was really about reassessing life. I think the, I think it's going to fall into a couple of classes. I think some people will find the negative in this, not learn the lesson, not to be able to. Uh, I don't think a lot of people are good at being alone. And there's, you know, they are, they're too. Nobody wants to be forced to sit and stare at yourself internally. You know, it's, that's you know, sit and stare at the mirror for a week and see what you know what you come up with, and that's what we're kind of forced to do right now. And so there's people that are embracing that, really working to find out who I am and what I want. And you know, I've got guys writing books that have never started book projects, and you know, they're looking at their businesses differently. They're kind of reassessing their their relationships with their families. And then there's other people that are angry and they're going to go just, there is no lesson learned here. I, I'm sorry to see that percentage, but I think for most of us, this is, it's a wonderful opportunity to find out who you are and really where you want to go in the next 10 years of your life. It's, it's, it's a pretty amazing process, I think. So you talked about like 30% of, you know, most fit, I heard you say that statistic and I, I believe you fullheartedly. Like, what is that? restaurants as well but you know specifically within the fitness business 30 percent of businesses are are not going to come back what what can you talk about that as a, a minute and say you know what, what which businesses do come back which ones don't like what what defines what's going to be a business that can survive something like this the the, the losses macro in two stages it's when the people got shut down there was a that lower tier of gym if you divide the gym business into the trainer gym especially guys like you the mad scientists that elevate the game. They're looking with a more sophisticated client. <clears throat> you know, um, you're kind of next generation. You're what fitness should be in the world and will be. And then you look at the big box chains and you, know, you cram 3,000 people standing shoulder to shoulder on treadmills for 19 bucks a month or $10 a month. And there, there's that whole category. <clears throat> so when the, everybody got forced to shut down, 
the, the weaker players on both categories just walk. They're already gone. There's already a certain wave of gems that just, you know, people bought themselves jobs and they're out and the bailouts won't be enough. And then, but the first 90 days were open. So let's say in California, you guys get open July 1st. I hope I'm wrong about that. I, it might be June. I doubt it, but I'm telling everybody to be prepared worldwide for at least 90 day closures. So if we come back in July, that first 90 days back, your, your clients are gone. Some of the larger third party billing companies that collect memberships for gyms just canceled all the gyms nationwide last week. So all your memberships, that, that 2,000 members you have, that 1,200, 800, whatever size your gym, 300 if you're a training gym, gone, completely gone. And already this week, 24-hour uh, fitness, 450 chains, they're talking about filing bankruptcy. Town Sports International out of New York, they have about 130 units. They're severely hurt, been all over the stuff. They may be talking about some kind of reforming. They're both getting... Both of these chains and many other ones, there's all kinds of talk of people chasing them because of cancellation policies that weren't done properly and people still collecting after they're supposedly canceling, shutting down your cancellation on your website so you can't cancel, but the clients can't. So that whole wave mm-hmm. of gems, I, you, know, you hate to see anybody that big go down. You hate to see anybody with that much membership tied up go down. But I think the chains are going to get hurt a lot worse than the small training gyms. And then when you come back that first 90 days, you have to come back running. I've been trying to prep most of my clients to, okay, there's going to be that two-week period before you reopen that you just have to, you have to reach out and call every single client. You have to do that manually. And then you send up a backup email. You reach out to every client you had since uh, January of 2018 and just say, hey, come back. You know, here's, here's, here's an old snail mail, old fashioned letter send them a backup text, send them a backup email and invite them back. Bring this in. This is good for 30 days. I know you may be changing gyms or your gym may have left you. You know, come on, come on back. Everybody that's tried your facilities in the last, going back to January of 2019, invite them back in. Let them come in as your guests for 30 days. It just all that stuff needs to be done. And all these big gyms are sitting dark and if you, if you look at a typical big box and you've got 3,000 members and maybe 100,000 of expense, it costs you about 65,000 of that to sit dark. You know, your rent's still there, your debt service is still there, your utilities are still there. And so you sitting dark for 90 days, these guys aren't just closed, they're, they're racking up huge expenses. And either the landlord's taking the hit or these guys are trying to pay this through it. Most of them do not have the reserves to come out of this. The little training gyms, you've got 250 clients. Your clients are paying two, 300, 500 a month. You're recession proof. You know, you're not going to get hurt. Most of those guys don't get hurt. But if you're a $10 gym and you've got 3,000 guys on the bottom end of the scale of the 22 million that are unemployed, then mm-hmm. that, that's going to change the world. Yeah, it's going to be a mad scramble. You know, July through, especially in California, July through October, but there's going to be two, that second big wave of failures coming in in that first 100 days. No more gov- government support. You're back. Now you're supposed to be back in the game. You know, no more help. Landlords are going to be trying to scramble to collect what money they can to save their own businesses. So you'll see that second wave just crash on the beach. It's going to be ugly, but there's opportunity. For guys like you, there's going to be immense opportunity to kind of attack right now, to kind of go, because the clients are going to be without gyms. A lot of good clients that would love you guys or love other type of gyms like you are going to be looking for, hey, where do I go now? You know, my gym's gone. And even if they reopen, would you really want to stand next to a guy shoulder to shoulder on the treadmill, sweating and grunting and breathing hard? Our perception of fitness has to change. What the gyms Mm -hmm. do have to change. What you offer has to change. It's going to be a different fitness world in the fall. And so you talk about like recession, you, you mentioned recession proof, you know, in business. And I, I remember when I, when I started, I started this company and, and started forming the idea around it around 08. And I'm like, you know, we really want to make something that would be recession proof in my mind. And, and I remember thinking that in terms of how, how many touch points the business would have, I was reading your books, actually, how many touch points the customer would have with different employees, like what the structure of the business would be, how much rapport would be built. And, and, and really kind of how, you know, how impassioned they would get and, and how much ownership the, the, the customer themselves, or the client would get over the business. What are some of the characteristics of some of these, some of these gyms or, or studios that, 
that have built themselves to be recession proof. And you talk about the big box and how people don't want to be crammed together. What about, you know, practices, financial practices or, you know, or actual cultural practices that 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 are going to kind of embody what who's going to make it through this and who's not? If I, if I have a small training facility, it's going to come back to trust. It's not going to come back to number of treadmills, number of classes, price specials, all that. That's what the bottom guys are going to fight out, thinking that's going to save their gyms. And a certain portion, our, our governor here in Florida had the, I'll, I'll just say, he made a choice to let spring break happen. And those, you know, you got... Uh, 500,000, 28-year-old, semi-naked guys drinking beer face-to-face with somebody they're trying to pick up. You know, those guys are, they, they're going to live forever. They'll be right back into groups. They're going to be right, they, they don't care. They, they they don't believe any of it. They're 28, you're, you're immortal, you know, and just, you know, bring on Orange Theory and yeah, I'll stand in this small box shoulder to shoulder and sweat and breathe everything because they don't care. But then there's the other client that goes, no, wait a minute, <laughs> maybe there's something to this. That client comes back, their expectations are going to be different. Uh, just so, some weird things. I'll throw some random stuff out. Uh, I have a client on the East Coast that has five gyms. So we just ordered 40,000 gloves because the members come in, they get gloves, they use the gloves during their workouts, they take the gloves off. There's a bio, you know, garbage can, and you peel them off. There's a big sign on how to peel them, hand sanitizers. Is it necessary? I, is it, a great visual is it a great you uh, is it a great facebook post video floating around the community before you reopen yeah it's really helps so guys like that just trying to think their businesses through the team guys where you're running that everything from a crossfit style gym to orange theory where you're 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 running 30 guys down a turf pushing sleds and their shoulder shoulder and hand five, and doing the high fives and all that that's going to have to be rethought you're going to have to have a very controlled environment but the smaller training gyms where you do, we use pod systems in most of our gyms. We do gyms within a gym. They're about 300 square feet. They hold four people, which is our small group version. You don't have to share equipment with anybody. Everything's there in that little pod. And, and we also use those same pods for one-on-one. So if I come in and say, hey, Tom, hey, you're with Leo tonight. You're down in the blue pod. I go down there. I don't share equipment. I don't have to follow, walk through a gym waiting for some other trainer and his client to get off a bench. And now I've got sweaty guy on the bench. I've got a guy that just touched everything. All that's got to go away for at least the next year. So we we're building gyms within gyms where I come in, I get my gloves, I have my own equipment. I don't share it with anybody. And the social distancing rules in the gyms. Some of my guys have a lot of treadmill. So we're taking out every other treadmill, putting it in storage. So when the members come in and can see the illusion that, hey, you're, you're eight feet center now, not shoulder to shoulder with somebody. So there's a hundred things like that that the gyms have to do to restructure. But back to your original part of your question is the guys that specialize in small groups that can isolate them and control the environment. 101 will come back bigger than it's been in 20 years now because that client, even temporarily three months to six months, is going to want to be out of the herd with a coach, probably both wearing masks, you know, they're going to, they're going to come back with different stuff. Now, will that fade slowly? Sure. Unless that second wave hits, but even if it does, we're prepared because we've already done everything right. Mm -hmm. The more sophisticated clients like you guys attract, they, their jobs are usually not dependent on the local target or something like that. Their execs are self-made people. They have their own businesses. They're consultants. They're people that hit this from a very different angle. But their, their expectations of you keeping me safe. So just finish on this little bit of a rant here. But the two weeks before we're opening, where all my clients are launching videos where I might have a doctor in my gym or a nurse or somebody that's a client going, hey, I, I visited the gym. I can tell you this is a gym you want to trust. It's the cleanest gym I've been to. It's cleaner than my own house. And I want that video floating within you know 10 miles of my gym, you know, $2 a day for seven days. I want all, I just, it's going to come down to trust. It's going to come down to, I trust you to keep me safe. And everybody's talking about programming and price. And our clients are talking about trust and you will be safe here. And that guy will win. And what do you think about in ho- like home exercise and home fitness now? Do you think it's going to blow up even more? Do you think you're going to have a, a, a more kind of 
a decrease in the public fitness arena and then people taking it home? Uh, that's You guys are both probably too young for this process, but if you think about it, you go back to the first life cycle. You know, that yeah. was out before you were born, but that terrified gym owners because, oh my God, they were the ugliest blue or yellow. They were hideous. And, oh my God, they're going to get this home. They'll never come to a gym. Uh, you guys are, you're, you're young. You're just the right age. Remember Bowflex? I got some dusty I mean, Nordic tracks in my dad's garage. So. There you go. Yeah. You got that. Or Bowflex. You can, you know, uh -huh. those are, those used to be like 3000 bucks. You could buy those uh, total gems. You know, they're, they're a couple thousand bucks. And you see those in yard sales every once in a while going by. Yeah. Uh, you, they make it sexy. They have that, you know, the people on Peloton, they have that female, doing in her the scamp, scampiest skippiest crows you can get on national television sweating it out doing that whole sex space thing Allie just Love. before she finishes her workout yeah it's just like <laughs> really oh come on and you know she gets off and hugs the kid and you know, and it's really old fat guys at home riding in her underwear looking at the little trainer chicks in new york they're 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 brain dead so the <laughs> the the socialization the home stuff works now because i have no choice but yeah. when this is over you guys the first thing i'm going to do is find a really nice restaurant i'm going to go sit somewhere and say look wait on me bring me food and wine i want to be i want to be out so if uh, there are people that always love being at home the people that really do use a peloton bike people that probably do use that crazy mirror thing but for the most of us in there, it's I go to a gym. I don't need a gym. If you think about it, if I've got two flights of stairs and two milk jugs full of water at home, if I walk up and down those stairs 20 times carrying those milk jugs, I'm probably in better shape than 95% of people in America. You know, I don't I don't need you guys. You know, I might need <laughs> yeah. the golf instruction, but I, I don't need you. I could I yeah. could get in moderate shape just wandering around my house carrying stuff. So when it comes down to going to a gym, I go because they're professional coaches, but it's also accountability, motivation, camaraderie. Almost all my clients in the, in the last 20 years, we throw big parties every Friday night in a lot of the gyms. It's cocktail hour. Come in at 4 o'clock, beer, wine, craft beer. A lot of guys have Saturday afternoons. They just blow it out. One of my clients brought in nine craft breweries and set up uh, tasting things all over the gym. He's only got 300 members. He had 600 people show up for the party. <laughs> they were just, it was crazy. But uh, the people, the gym is the social center. It, 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 10 years ago, you guys as master trainers had a huge edge. But now everybody's a pretty decent coach. The coaches have been weeded out. The, the coaches have gotten better. The standards have gone up. Mm -hmm. So I don't, uh, it, it, coaching is not an edge anymore. It's delivery system. It's the mm. how it's not the, it's not the training it's how the training is delivered mm. it, it's it's the experience of your gyms that matter and yeah. this is a chance to rebuild that too but again we get caught up in our own madness as coaches with experience and start to think it's about us and it's about how the person's greeted at the door you know, can they get a kick ass there's a thing in the UK called flying squirrel coffee it's uh, about this big it's the tiniest it's like a amazingly bad <laughs> uh, cappuccino or something. And it just fires your ass up before the workout. And people, they come in, but they come in and that's kind of the status of the gyms. You come in and get this really good cup of stuff to motivate you before you go. It kind of fires you up, gives you a little bit of energy. And then they linger afterwards and drink a six or $7 shake and hang out. They go to the gym, not for the workout. They go for the sense of that. So when this is over, all the people that are forced to be home, that are doing Zoom workouts, all that, they're, they're, they're just just like me. They're waiting to get back in the world. They're waiting to get back and, and do. Now, we have to keep them apart, but we can still have parties in the gyms. Can we have Zoom parties and still socialize them? We can do all that. So tech is not going to replace us, but it's going to be a better support tool then we we have used it in the past. And we should use it as a support for the regular gyms much more intensely than we did prior to this madness. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it just what you're talking about, and it's just fascinating to hear you, like you've been in this industry for quite some time now and have seen ebbs and flows and changes and cycles and everything like that. It's uh, adaptability is everything that you're talking about. You're, I mean, being proactive with this, not accepting this reality and preparing for the future. And and most people that I talk about, they're like, when are we going to go back to normal? And everything that you're talking about is, when are you going to prepare for the future? And that's 
it's fat, you know, adaptability. How, how, how important is that? Yeah. Well, a part of your question earlier that I kind of skipped over would be, you know, what's kind of what's next for some of these guys. It's if you are a boot camp gym, you have a boot camp franchise and you're locked into 1800 feet and just go in some kind of really tight crammed in circuit. I, how many years would it be before you'd feel feel safe in that environment again? It's mm-hmm. going to take a full year, if ever, that you'd want to be in that environment. But they have no ability to adapt. So the gym of the future is going to be somebody that has a, a basic team aspect. My daughter, of course, has a gym, uh, women's only gym on Cape Cod. But they have a team aspect of it. But they do uh, – boxing on some days they 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 do restoration natural movement she has a whole variety of different things and but the small group training is big and the one-on-one training is big so if you have that layered offering that layered price structure that's a key to survival because if you're only if you're tied to a single methodology like a boot camp like a kettlebell like a circuit training then you're 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 hurt there's no growth in there because when that that everybody moves past the methodology and everybody moved, uh, geez, what it was it only seven years ago that uh, kettlebells were ruling the universe and certifications were, you had to wait six months to get into a kettlebell certification. And now there's, they're not even offering you. When's the last time you've seen a kettlebell certification? So the, when people become tied to tools, the tools fade. So master coaches just take the tools at hand and apply them to what's in front of them. And then they're, they're situational, meaning I'll give up tools each year to progress. Any good business has to be adaptable. Mm-hmm. But if I bought a single methodology franchise, I bought a single methodology business, I can't adapt. So a lot of these people will. And if you had 450 units, like one of these big chains, well, how would you adapt? You know, to, geez, how many millions and millions of dollars would it take to redesign those gyms in the next 90 days? So size is a, sometimes a prevention from readapting and some kind of methodology gets in the way because you can't adapt, but that leaves the rest of us that can throw out old stuff, move treadmills at our will, uh, bring kettlebells in or stick mobility or God knows what we're using this week and change it up to what we need to do. Yeah, you, that was a very powerful thing you said, Mac. Adaptation is everything. Well, if not, they will die. And yeah. it's it's almost like you can inherently build it into your business. And like I, I think like I said, you've been such a big inspiration for me from my days of drinking something like Flying Squirrel late night and doing my business planning <laughs> <laughs> and stressing out and, you know, and, you know, wife's pregnant in the other room and I'm just trying to figure out how I can model this. And that's when I really got into a lot of your writing. And it was, and it's really where in the golf industry, for example, and this can parallel into a lot of different industries, but, you know, golf instruction is, it was king. And it's like golf instruction, if you, you know, you know, if they, they talk about TPI and referring out and everything else like that. And and I was like, man, why would I refer out? I I'm losing the trust. I'm losing the customer. I really want to be able to control the experience and and build a cultural standard because it's not so much like, oh, he can go get his back fixed or he can go get stronger at this place. But I, I can't control how they're going to greet him in the parking lot or how they're going to, you know, how how how, how they're going to make that person feel when they leave for the day. And so that was really a lot of what inspired me to say, you know, and also too with golf instruction, people attrition off pretty easily. They get bored with it or whatever. And so bringing in fitness and physical therapy and, you know, equipment, specialized custom equipment allowed for the, 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 to be much more sticky experience and, and for people to retain a lot better and, and, and almost build even more trust. Because if when you leave, you know, you have your coach at UGP, you have your trainer, you have your physical therapist. The next thing you know, you're like, if I have, if I leave this community, I'm like breaking up with four or five different people. I'm not just like canceling my gym membership. I'm actually gonna break up with people that I've built bonds with over this time. What do you what are your thoughts on that? Well, Greg Rose's original vision of TPI was exactly what you guys are doing. But when he started it so many years ago, he and and Dave, Dave Phillips, when they these guys put this together, the the vision at that time was to grow this where you would have a central either golf pro or trainer and he would put the rest of the people together and eventually bring him under one roof well when they first started that was such a weird concept that nobody could do it you keep in mind that's going on now 15 years maybe almost 20 years these guys have been out there pushing this you know this has been a great 
I mean, they probably have probably 40,000 certified instructors now, maybe more, but it wasn't the concept that you guys are doing so well now wasn't in, instinctively what could be done at that time. It just theoretically it was there, but instinctively when you're trying to put it together, you just knew it didn't fit at the time. Mm-hmm. So it, it being that all inclusive, all service, you're just a great representation of what all training gyms will be. There's a young trainer in Southern Florida, Brendan Hayden. He's one of those, you know, just good at everything. Athlete guys, great trainer, still does some swing coaching, although he's a trainer, but he still enters long drive contests. You know, he's 37, can still hit at 400 yards on a long drive just, and after three beers, you know, he's (laughs) he's that kind of guy. He's just, he's one of the, one of the nicest guys I think I've worked with in the tow industry, but about 20% of his business is golf. But he's also working with all of this within the system. He's starting to bring them all together and bringing that network. When people find out that you're good and they 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 want to be part of that team without the golf. Mm-hmm. So maybe for you guys, the next stage is to open this up. You know, you're gonna maybe have 30, 40% of your clients that are just there because of all the other support structure you have. And that allows your business to grow way beyond the concept. And Brendan's starting to grow that. I think I believe he's only maybe 20% of his business is golf. But he started as you did. And then the, the, the clients just kept finding them because the support structure was so good beyond the original concept. Mm-hmm. So there's um, everything. Yeah, but adaptive, you know, if, if adaptation. Are you guys willing to even let your own businesses grow beyond the concept? Well, it sounds and that'll too, be the challenge. Yeah, it sounds too, Thomas, like it's a lot of it is, you know, I think about Greg Rose. It's funny. I had a I, I remember getting uh, certified level one certified. And I went to him when, you know, it was probably nine years ago. Uh, 10 years, no, a little longer, like 10 years ago. And I told him, I said, Hey, I'm going to open this concept and it's going to have golf instruction and fitness training and physical therapy. And we're going to clubs and this is the pro it's going to be indoors. And he told me you're going to go bankrupt. That's the first time I ever talked to Greg and he goes, you're going to go bankrupt. And then I like looked at, I was like, and then I was like, wait, can you explain a little bit more? I got a business plan. I'd love for you to review it. He's like, I don't have time, but you're going to go bankrupt to try something else. And I walked away like, so dejected and Lance Gill was right there and saw me kind of like sulking away and he was like hey come in my office for a second <laughs> and uh we sat down he talked to me he goes show me your business plan and we talked and we built like a friendship right there and he's been a big mentor to me but it's so funny like years later you know Greg still hasn't come to see UGP but he knows obviously about us we're probably one of the best most successful representations of of kind of golf instruction 2.0 with everything revolved around it in this experience and I remember, you know, reading about his story and what they did, I think, up in Connecticut or something and how that didn't work. What it was, you know, they had all the facets of it, but was it just an issue of timing and location? The the first concept, which he was probably basing that comment on because the timing would have been about right, the way you told the story. Yeah. They, there was uh, in New York, the guys went for this right off the top and um, picked a location, but their rent and for this location, they had, I believe, three three golf bays in there, full-time golf guys. One of the partners in the business was an amazingly good golfer, but so they hired some great coaches. They had everything that you guys are trying to do, physical therapy within the gym, all this, but they were early to the concept, and plus the the rents were crazy. I mean, the rent, the, their opening rent was about almost 50 grand a month. So you're, once, you know, that's New York type rents and it just takes, uh, coming out of the gate, they maybe stumbled with some uh, sales problems and they, you know, build it and they will come. Well, these guys were really good golfers and really good coaches, but not necessarily really good business people. So the yeah. first attempts at what you were doing did stumble because they just didn't have that. It takes a unique person to be you two. You know, you got to have a business head and, and understand golf understand training and how it relates and then be able to ascertain what that athlete needs to support them with all the other parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's somebody like, like Allie Gilbert, you guys probably know of her through Titleist and stuff where mm-hmm. she works mm-hmm. with over 50 guys and a lot, and a lot of golf people through the years and tough to thing, but she's picked out one aspect of trying to keep them a hormonally balanced, trying to keep them there. But if you take that skill set and add it now, just that's just one and she trains them. You guys have managed to throw in all the other stuff. So it's a hard concept to duplicate what you're doing in scalable as of today. But within the next five years, it'll be more scalable because I think yours will actually sort of 
in a good way, dilute itself because you're going to just get all these other CEOs and senior VPs and stuff that want to be in the environment, but they're not necessarily there for golf. Right. Yeah. So, and that's, yeah, yeah, and that's, so uh, that's well, going to open it up for you because that doubles your membership pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what we've learned uh, is that it's all about interpersonal skills, hospitality, and the experience. It has nothing to do with the technical coaching going on, really. And so I think that's why we're so in line because I, I will never forget, I think it was like seven years ago, I saw you speak at a Perform Better seminar and you talked about the master coach. And I remember as an early like young trainer, I was like, I want to become a master coach. What kind of in a bullet point format creates a, 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 a master coach in, in your eyes? It's not a business card. And I <laughs> so start bad if any of the guys are listening to this. <laughs> if you have two years of experience and you get a business card, do not put master coach on your business card. You're, you're not there yet. I, uh, I, I've been asked to summarize that a couple of times before, and it, it really comes down. I'll give you the short version first and then detail it. But the, the short version is when you get smart enough to know what you don't know that you're willing to say, look, uh, I'm going to have to put you with a different professional. You ha- you need help out of my skill set. Mm-hmm. Or here's what I'm seeing. I think this professional can best help you. And so it's there's an experience curve. Normally to be a real coach of depth where you, you, you've just worked with so many different clients that you've kind of seen it all. You, you work with so many different solving problems with so many limitations, so much dysfunction. You know, trying to come up with correctives for people that even hate working out. You know, you've just done it all. And that takes about 20 years to become a true master coach. So it, it's time, time served. Can you become an exceptional coach in eight to 10 years? Yeah, I, I think you can be really good. And there's some young coaches with two or three years experiences that you look like, these guys are going to be really good. But you just haven't, you haven't been beaten enough. You haven't lost enough clients. You haven't failed with enough clients. And you get from the point when you're young where here's what I know and you're going to do it to 20 years down the line, you go, who are you as a client? What do you need? What can you can't do? What's your dysfunction? What's, where's your weaknesses? You know what? Here's what I think we can do together. And you, you kind of move from shoving everything you've done from a workshop down the guy's throat and into, you know, really look at the client as a unique individual and coming up with a plan of attack that might fit him and met and fit no one else. It just just absolutely will not fit anyone. I did, just to give you a strange thing, I've got one guy that has been with me so long, and I knew him when he was younger, but he had a client that the client would not work out unless there was a bucket with ice and a cold beer in it at the end of the floor. He says, that's a, he, and he wasn't even a big drinker. That was just his carrot to get through the workout. So my guy, then we've got this one-on-one client paying a lot of money, but every time he'd come in, he'd have to have the bucket of beer show the guy the bucket, the guy would work out. It was a, it was a laugh. It was a joke. It was kind of a stupid motivation, even by the client's part, because he, he even thought it was goofy. But you know what? He showed up and they'd sit afterwards. And on a Friday afternoon, they'd both have a beer. And the client found a way to, to kind of crazily motivate himself. But the trainer was willing to go, look, this, whatever it takes us to get this guy through the, the, the day, we're going to do it. And yeah. most coaches wouldn't do that. They would just, they'd find out too weird or impure or something, but it's, everybody's unique as a client. It takes a long time of experience to be able to look at the client and, and understand that he, he, what he is, who he is, how she thinks, what she does at home, all this stuff is interrelated. And if you don't train the whole client, not just their physicality, then you're not a master coach. I feel like, you know, when, when in talking about interpersonal skills and coaching and, and hearing you talk and, and how long it takes to become a master coach and the amount of experience you need to gain, I kind of feel guilty because like I went in at 24, 25 and I'm like, all right, I played college golf. I played a little professional golf, you know, got, I went to IMG Academy. I had a lot of great experiences that led me to, to what I'm doing today. I had a lot of great coaches, a lot of bad coaches. I had ACL reconstruction. So I had a lot of experience as a player and I was always very interested in mentoring other other players. But really, when I went to go work in the industry, I was like, I need to put in, you know, 10 years of experience to be able to then be in a position to mentor and coach other people on how to do this. 
and then gain another 10 years. I had a, a, a plan in place and I could, I really couldn't find myself identifying with an, with an organization that was willing to cultivate me to that, to that point. And so that's what kind of led me to becoming an entrepreneur. And then next thing you know, no longer a golf coach, I find myself doing all kinds of other things and in this entrepreneurial journey, but really what I found and I'm like, how am I going to sustain this going from one person to 40 in the last, you know, seven years. And I started the company with like a small loan and, and, and I was like, man, I can't teach them how to teach. Well, I, you know, I'd hire these guys. I'd try to hire as best as I could. But what I ended up finding out was like, if this is a really fun place to be and they, they, I'm able to teach these guys and girls how to sell and how to like handle disputes and all this interpersonal stuff, then I can continue to work on the system and the structures and everything else and the technical aspects of it. I can have time because I'm going to have money and clients and I might have a lot of problems, which I'd have, but I'm going to get, I'm going to get the opportunity to refine it over time. And, and so I focused less on, on, on really the structure of the coaching and, and of the technical side. And I focused on the sales and the interpersonal side as much as I could so that I could have a lot to work with. And that's really been the process. And then Leo came in and refined it for me quite a bit, but that's really been kind of the thing. And so I guess when I look at these businesses that don't make it, a lot of, a lot of what I go to in my mind is like, they're, they're not focusing on the experience enough and on cultivating a team but instead trying to make sure that they get it perfect with their clients. What do you, what do you think about that? There's a, a couple of points that in there you were saying, and there's some good observations. Uh, the next, the next step for most entrepreneurs is being an entrepreneur almost screws up your whole business plan because you were first. So there are not a lot of role models. In fact, most entrepreneurs are just guys that, that can't keep real jobs. They're always, they, they just, they're unhireable in the real Thank world. Thank you for noticing they, that. They, yeah, <laughs> they're going to they're gonna do it their own way. <laughs> the problem is that how you think, you think that everybody else is like you. So when you hire your first team, you're expecting them to have the same drive, the same willingness to work, the same, you know, so that, that term probably born in California, empowerment is probably one of the, for most employees, one of the worst things you can do to them. People want structure. They like to be led and they like systems. So most guys that grow, grow past the empowerment stage as a leader and grow into more of a structured stage. Now, your assistant managers, your team leaders, things like that, they'll get to a point where they will start to try to figure out problems. But if you look at Apple in its early days, Jobs was a very, very strong leader, but he put structure in the organization. You know, here, here, here's my vision. Here's what we're going to try to do. Now, you guys figure this out. So you you provide the vision, but you have to provide rules, structure, deadlines, accountability. Mm-hmm. So we expect our employees to be good as we are. The best day, your best employee, if he's 80% as good as you and Leo, that's an amazing thing because they're looking for you for leadership. They're working for you. They're not you. Mm-hmm. So we, we kind of lose the, the fact of who who we are as as leaders of what we really want our team to do. And then the next thing, the other point is, as far as with the clients, teach them to be good people. And that sounds so childish and so ridiculous, but we we forget that a lot of the folks coming out, especially under 30, have not grown up with that same cultural structure that was common in colleges and taught so many years ago. So they, you know, how do we greet a client? How do we say thank you? How do we answer a phone? You know, how do we, you know, if a client's standing there at the end, you've got five groups, you know, five people in the group. One of the things I've been teaching for years that's in all my books is at the end of every group session, hey, thank you guys. We greatly appreciate you being here. This gym would not exist if it wasn't for great people like you. Thank you. We greatly appreciate your business. Whoever's at the front counter in the gym has to thank every client every time they leave. Hey, Mac, thank you for coming in today. We greatly appreciate your business. Do I have to say that every day as an employee? Every single day. That's why you're there. Mm -hmm. So you teach them to be good people by common courtesy because they just, they don't think about it. It's not part of their life. Maybe their parents didn't ever teach them that. Never. So you have to teach them to be that. That's really customer service. Yeah. It's so strange to go anywhere to, to be thanked. We, we travel up until this year, I travel usually 35 weeks a year. 
and I've been doing that for 40 years. Somewhere in there, I've probably done, I think this earlier this spring, I passed 1,100 workshops. So if you do the math on that, I've been standing in front of people for about nine and a half years <laughs> worth of workshops, 15 years in hotels. And all the years we traveled and all the money we spend taking people out for dinners and entertaining and having good times at restaurants and nice restaurants, I can count on probably one hand in the last five years, the number of managers that have come up and said, you know, you guys just spent five grand in here for dinner. Thank you. You know, may I send over a dessert? Can I send you guys another bottle of wine? Maybe five times in, in that time because we assume that business is a entitlement that we've opened a business that's there instead of being gracious and thankful. And that's what you have to teach your staff. Be gracious. Be thankful. That's so, you know, that, so that guy that you just pissed off pays your salary. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, that that mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. And, and treat him with respect. You know, he's guys paying four or five hundred, a thousand a month, a couple thousand a month. You know, sir, can I get you a free bottle of water? <laughs> you know, yeah, you're, you're paying me two thousand a month. You're a one on one client. Those guys never pay for shakes, water. Just as a weird side note, most of our guys that are in the one-on-one stage paying big money and most of our clients around the world, we have programs enacted with them where you get a bottle of wine sent to your house every three months. You get a, once a year, you get a kick-ass gym bag or a backpack. My golf guys, once a year, you get a, you know, Tyler's balls, initials on them. Uh, once a year, you just, are, so 12 times a year, you come up the client. So if I, if you're paying a thousand a month, I'll pay $50, a $100 a month to keep you. But so I surprise you, money guys, it's not, it's not the stuff. It's the fact that you thought and appreciated their money. Mm -hmm. So, Hey Mac, can I give you this really nice gym bag? Thank you. Hey Leo. Hey, did you get that bottle of wine? I said, Tom, that was great. You didn't have to do that. Yes, I did have to do it. Thank you for being my client. So every (laughs) month you take care of the people that thank you, but that can be taught Mac back to your point. That can be taught with these guys because that's what we teach our staff to be as gracious human beings. And the clients will stay and pay longer if they're if they're uh, the money's appreciated. It, it's kind of a lost art. Uh, being a Texas boy, it's like it's it, you know the handshake is so important, and it's it's interesting hearing you talk like I like it's so validating because I can't tell you how many times over the last seven years I've been teaching you know twenty five year old men on how to give a proper handshake. Now I guess I don't know what we're gonna do now after this after this whole thing, but but the I'll handshake, fist bump. <laughs> uh, yeah, fist bump, and we've done we've done that too. How to give you know. Just how to ignore one one really important aspect. I found myself I'm like God. I can't believe I'm not talking about angle of attack and you know shoulder plane and getting into all these different aspects of instruction. I'm spending most of my time with this new staff coming in on just how to look someone in the eye, shake their hand, on how to open a door, on how to you know have emotional intelligence, understand how you're affecting the room, and so much so much of it was that your body language, and it's it's crazy. I mean, I would say seven out of ten. And we really do a good job of hiring, but seven out of ten of our of our people that we're interviewing for trainers, coaches, they have terrible body language in an interview. They're like laying there, oh. like sitting back, like <laughs> slumped over. Yeah. They're not thinking at all. Like they're 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 ready to receive, but they're like my children are. I have a nine year old and a six year old and a nine month old. They're receiving all the time. They're not so much thinking about what they're putting out there. Well, some of them can't get their heads up anymore because the phones have been like this for you know their whole lives, but. <laughs> It, it, it's funny, I was talking to some golf guys about five years ago after one of the Titleist events, and I was kind of getting frustrated with them because they were all just so tech heads. They were so into the process. And uh, so we were, so I was like, you know, I take a lot of lessons. I'm a kind of a lesson junkie. And uh, I said, so what's the experience of your lesson? And so how do I start? Well, you go to the pro shop, you you know, buy a five pack or 10 pack, you know how this goes It's part of your whole life. Mm -hmm. And then I get a time set and I show up at the range and I got, you know, the trusty seven iron and the guy pulls up from his last lesson. He just, the cart's still moving as he jumps out and I hit balls and he leans on the club and watches and does a few weird, you know, and just, and then at the end of the deal, he says, so I'm going to see you next week. And I said, yeah, I bought a five pack and then off he goes. I'm like, that's gotta be the most archaic technology. And yet, Everywhere in America, it's still like that. So I'm like, get the guy. So like the first lesson, make it an hour. I, in fact, I think all lessons should be an hour and a half. But the first lesson, make it an hour and a half. Sit down with the guy at the snack bar. Buy the guy a Diet Coke. And, and like, who are you? What do you want? And then walk him to the range or put him in your cart and take him to the range. 
And then afterwards, you know, let them hit balls for a half hour, bring them back. Dude, here's what I've seen. Here's what we're going to work out. Lay a 90-day plan of attack. So if you give me 90 days of stuff to work on, I know there's more than just me banging balls with a seven iron in the dirt. But that whole, we don't think about that, that to, uh, of all this salesmanship and all this stuff, the golf guy has got to be the the last dinosaur guarding Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, there's there's These guys are absolutely the worst, the worst. Thank and, God for uh, that. Thank uh, <laughs> yeah, it makes you guys, makes your job a lot. No, everything you're saying is yeah. so validating. It's awesome. I love it. Keep yeah. Going. So you <laughs> mentioned, you know, you travel and you've done it for 40 years. You know, speaking of hiring, when we hire, we ask, what is your why? And, you know, they, they'll say, I love golf and I love helping people. And then when you ask why seven more times, you get deeper into the real reason why you do things in life. Why do you still do what you do? And what's the, what's the intrinsic drive? Well, I'm getting to the point where I probably won't keep doing this so much. I started to cut back last year. And this year, uh, if we would have had a full schedule, which we still might try to cram it in the second half of the year, would have been the least I've been on the road since. I, I, this will definitely set some dates since 1980. So uh, it's the least I've traveled. So I'm kind of finding my way to the back door anyway. But it's I'm sure with most of your clients, there's a certain clientele that once they get to a certain point, I think one of the best days of your life is when you get up and go to work because you want to and not because you have to. And again, why does Steve Jobs, why did he go to work? You know, Buffett's 87. Why does he go to work? You know, the Pope's about 150. Why does he go to work? You know, he's found, they, they've all found a reason to get out of, you know, you're, you're there for, you have to find that value. Mine is just, it's simple. It's kind of archaic in a term, but, you know, I, I believe mostly that I was here, here to change lives. There's everybody, as I got older, my, what little hair I have left starts to turn gray. You know, most of my conversations with people staying in a bar at one o'clock at night are not about the gym business. It's about what are they going to do with the rest of their life? Who are they? How do they function? You know, what's what's it mean to be you? And uh, the, the biggest question I ask them is like, where are you going to be in 10 years? What do you want? And it often comes back to purpose. But purpose is one of the simplest things in life. You, know, you were born here. All of us. You're here to change lives. You're here to leave the world a little better than you found it. You're here to help other people. Purpose is one of the simplest things on the planet. So when people say, I want to do this and this, I really know it's like, you know, what do you want? And uh, a lot of the, the younger coaches and stuff, I, well, not so younger anymore. Some of them are, this works at any age. But I'm like, where are you going to be? If I if I sit with you 10 years from now in this bar and we, we revisit, so what did you do the last 10 years? You know, what did it mean to be you? What was the essence of you? You know, did you change the world? Did you leave it better? Take care of your family? Make a little money? You know, help a lot of people. You're just 10 years older and wasted everything. And I think that's the hardest question that's ever asked. It's like not just where you're going to be in 10 years, but in 10 years time, what will have meant to be you? You know, just and just and a lot of people, they're so into just the money or just some narrow aspect that their purpose is gone. So, you know, you make you just chase that so hard you lose your family. And that's what you lied to yourself that you were doing it for. I sacrificed everything for my family and they left. All they wanted to do was to stay home and put your damn phone down. You know, all they wanted to do is to hang out for an afternoon, you know, without you trying to text people that there. I see it all the time now. I still where the little parks are open in Florida. And you walk out and you see a guy out there with his two kids and he's sitting on the bench, the kids are playing, the guy's kicking back on his phone, texting. And here's his kids, dude. Do you not understand this is the biggest gift in life you've been given? You've got time to sit with your children when they're little. And who's more important on that text? You really can't turn it off for 30 minutes. So the, the essence of what you are and who you're going to be and how you're going to live and looking back 10 years, you know, what did you do with the last 10 years of your life? I think those are important questions. Why do I still do this? There's still people that need help. Although I'm getting closer and closer to that back door pretty quickly. It's, I'm finding my way toward the end. Uh, it's somebody else's turn here very soon. I love that answer. And it's like, it's almost in a way, you know, like you said, it's, it's, it's universal for everybody. What's your purpose, you know, affecting other people's lives. And, and when, you know, when you leave your legacy, really what you're leaving behind is how you impacted others. And, and, and that's such a beautiful thing to, to find your gift 
and and for you this gift with fitness and the industry and teaching others and but really like it emanates from that passion that you have for helping others and that that allows the work to be so much more powerful there's a one of my favorite quotes is it says you when you die you die twice the the day you physically die and the day your name's mentioned for the last time on earth Mm-hmm. And if you think about that quote, there's a lot of people that the day they're gone is the day they're they're gone because they 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 left nothing, they changed nothing. Their kids don't like them, this family doesn't like them. You know, they're you know, they're they're gone and and not remembered. They're they're just they made no difference. And what a waste of time to you know, you you're here 40, 50 years, some people shorter, some people forever it seems, 90 years and but if you think about it it's just, you know, just what did you do with that? You know, mm-hmm. just if, if, if you're not remembered five minutes after you're dead as somebody who's like, Hey, you know, Mac and Leo, those were good guys. They really, they really cared. They really gave a damn about us. You know, that's what you want people to be thinking about somebody toasting me a bar a month after you're going down. I miss those guys. Those were great guys. You know, they really changed my world. And that's, that's kind of what I think most people was that. And there's a certain part of your life where you get to that point where you go, okay, it's beyond money. It's really trying to change the world around you and leave it a little better than you found it. That's and it's old school and kind of archaic and maybe not so much in fashion anymore. But I think it's still a good motivator for even if you're 20. Yeah, super inspirational. As we wrap up here, we have three quick ones. Okay, so you pull up to the golf course and you have three decisions to make. Who do you want to get a lesson from? It could be alive or dead. Uh, who do you want to play with? And who do you want to have a beer with after after the round? <laughs> Jeez, this could go on. That could be another hour. Leo, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, a lesson? I think uh, probably Harvey Pennick. I Probably somebody like that, a little quiet guy that sits on the sidelines and just found that there he's a guy that you could talk to that and probably five minutes later you're talking about life and the meaning of golf and all that type of stuff i think that would be just it'd be amazing to do that around the golf you see what that'd be fun with and that's a long list of people there first one pops in my head this kind of old school would be probably somebody like freddie couples you know something that you could you know somebody that just pops through from that stuff some of the younger guys in there I think Adam is probably a lot of fun. I think he'd be a good beer, good Australian kid. Probably going to have a nice beer with him somewhere. Yeah, I think he's got a fun story, so to speak, the surfer dude and all this stuff. Uh, beer afterwards, man, I, you, I'd, I'd have to go back to Tiger 10 years ago when he was in all his drinking glory. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to see the sun come up with that guy. Yeah. yeah. I want to I hang with him and see how crazy his life really was back in that day. Yeah. He, he'd be top, top on the list for a guy that you're going to close the bar with and sit in the parking lot and drink until sun up. Yeah. There's not even a close second on that party guy. He, he, but specifically at that time, too. Specifically. Yeah, in, all, yeah. Yeah. He'd be boring now. He's too. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's like, he's, He's healed, so to speak. He's back to being Tiger. But back when he was the crazy Tiger, that would been the one where his picture's on the shirt. He got arrested that night, that T-shirt. Where yeah, he yeah. Got his, yeah, that's that's the Tiger I want to hang out with. He, uh, he, was, he, was, he was he crashed his car in Florida, and he told the, his, the cop that he was going from L.A. to Newport Beach, actually. Yeah. But, yeah. See, I could have been there. I, I, I could have been Johnny. That could have been me in the past. Yeah. yeah, that could have been a lot of fun. I, I, he would have been the guy to hang out with. Yeah, that, that would have been the one. And if I had the caddy for somebody, you didn't ask that question, but I'll wrap up on that one. It would have been Arnold. Mm-hmm. I'd like to follow him during his glory days when they, they discovered you know millions of people screaming for him and all the Arnold fans, when all that was new and fresh and golf was just modern golf was getting invented the fan was there and they went from quiet guys to this there's chance of arnold coming down the fairway that would have been something to see as the 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 glory days the the golf starting out as it is today pre-tiger where even those guys were rock stars in their own right it'd be nice to follow him around for a nine holes just to see what how crazy that was and how out of character it was for that that era and the time that would have been brilliant 
Yeah. Well, Thomas, well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We really appreciate it. I think we could have talked for three or four hours. So I was just trying to control myself. To not yeah, have... I could have kept going. I just looked up. I realized I mean, that was the fastest hour I think I've ever done on a podcast. So thank you guys. Mm. You made it fun. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Really appreciate it. And you've really made a difference, you know, talking about legacy. We're so lucky to have, you know, taken in your your knowledge and content over the years. So you can definitely retire a happy man. Thank you. Very yeah. gracious. I appreciate it, Leo. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much and have a good one. Stay, Thanks, guys. Stay safe. We'll Bye-bye. see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.